Hello, I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And I hope you're not listening to this at double speed, because we're going to be rushing through this episode. Russian doll, that is. Eh? Mm, no, boo. Or maybe do listen to it at double speed. Listen to it at whatever speed you want. Okay. We're silly. <laughs> so we're talking about... The Netflix original show, Russian Doll. We watched this, really enjoyed it. It struck us as having uh, similarities to Legion in ways that we'll talk about in this episode. If you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor and watch it, and then come back and listen to this episode, because we're going to spoil the whole thing. Yeah, Um, absolutely. But if you haven't watched it, I think if you like Legion, you will like Russian Doll. So our plan for this episode, so you know what's coming, we're going to recap each episode of Russian Doll and talk a little bit about kind of one idea that's connected to that episode. And then after each four, it's an eight episode season. So after every four episodes of recap, we'll talk a little bit about that half of the season. And then we'll do that again. So, Jan, do you want to take us through the first episode of Russian Doll? Before I get right into the episode, I'll just mention that Russian Doll is created by Natasha Lyonne, Amy Poehler, and Leslie Headland, and it stars Natasha Lyonne, Greta Lee, Yul Vasquez, Charlie Barnett, and Elizabeth Ashley, just Mm -hmm. to be clear on who created it, who stars in it, all that stuff. Natasha Lyonne is Nadia, the main character, and she is fantastic in this. And maybe I'll pipe in to say... Natasha Leone is like, I felt watching this uh, series, like this is the first time I've seen her in a role that was good enough for her. Yeah. She's so good in this show as this character. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved her performance in this a lot. All right. All right. So episode one is called Nothing in This World is Easy. Nadia is celebrating her 36th birthday at a big party held by her friend Maxine. She goes through her night sleeping with Mike, a skeezy professor, before being hit by a car and waking back up in a bathroom earlier in the night. Confused, she lives the day again, this time spending time with her friend X, all the while she's searching for her cat named Oatmeal. She finds him and sits on the edge of a rail, only to fall over and end up back in the bathroom again. This time, she shouts at Maxine about what is in the joints and leaves the party. So in this first episode, I want to talk about death. Death is a central image, a central motif and theme. And the difference between an image, a motif and a theme, not important. Okay, death is a central thing in Russian Doll all the way through. And it shows up first in this episode when our main character dies. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, that was in, like, the premise of the show. If you watch the trailer, that much was in the premise. Yeah. So, like, but what is going on with death in this episode and in this show? Yeah. Well, it's clear that this isn't just, like, uh, Groundhog Day. She li- lives the same day over and over. It's she specifically lives for a while, dies, and ends up back in the same moment every time she dies. Yeah. And I'm... so it leads to... Uh, death is final, but then death is the beginning again. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think that is that different from Groundhog Day, but I do like your what you say about death is the beginning. The cyclical nature of the show is tied right into the cyclical nature of death. Mm-hmm. And I think of the bathroom that she's in is like, uh, we... <laughs> When she comes out and she's talking to her friend about like, oh, great bathroom. And she's like, it's not too vaginal. Or no, it's not. Is it vaginal enough? Yeah. Is what it is. It wasn't yeah. that it's too vaginal. No. Is it vaginal enough? And like put it on, like bang the readers over the, bring the watchers over the head with it. Uh, she's born out of that bathroom every episode. Exactly. And the door is a gun. Mm-hmm. So death and birth are tied together in the imagery of that bathroom where we start every time. Mm-hmm. There's no death exactly. for Nadia without birth and there's no birth without death. And we get also in this episode, the conversation with her, uh, 
her mother figure, Ruth, about, like, it's her 36th birthday. That was always going to be a hard birthday for her. Why? Yeah, do we find out that in this episode? That her mother died when she was 36. Her mother died when she, her mother, was 36. So this is a birthday that's connected... To a death day. To death for Nadia already. Mm-hmm. And when we have connected to the imagery of death in this episode and in this series, like, in one way the whole show is one long rumination on the idea of death and whether it's final and what if it's not final, mm-hmm. in a way that Groundhog Day really wasn't. Yeah. So thematically, I guess, uh, thematically I totally know what you're saying. That's not like Groundhog Day at all in what it's about. But, like, the question raised by her deaths in this episode also raises the question that we're going to, like, is this supernatural? Is this psychological? Is this in her head? Is she actually dying? What is happening? Mm-hmm. Right? And you definitely feel like that door in the bathroom is is something supernatural at first. Yeah. Like, especially in these first episodes, you're like, what is causing this? And she doesn't spend very long on the why of it. It doesn't no. take her long to just, like, go with it. Yep. And uh, later on when we see Alan, he experiences, he treats death just like he enjoys the loop. Mm-hmm. Where she tries to change it every single time, it's different. When we get to him, we'll see how his uh, his idea of death is just a chance to redo with preciseness his next move. Yeah, and like it, it ties directly into it ties to how they see life, but it also ties into how they see death. That if death is birth, then he accepts it as a reset much more easily than she does. Yeah. And maybe that's a statement on that she doesn't want, it's not that she doesn't, it's not just that she doesn't want death. By the end of the series, we've figured out that she doesn't want life. Yeah. It's the fact that her death leads to another life is one of the things that's so upsetting to her. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. So episode two is called The Great Escape. Nadia goes to work the next morning as a video game designer and is accused of having bugs in her code. She hunts down the man who sold Maxine the joint and questions her own sanity. She calls John, her ex, before falling into the open street. Waking up back in the bathroom, she immediately goes out to find what was in the joint, and it was ketamine, not cocaine. Nadia at this point dies repeatedly on the stairs. Nadia goes to Ruth, who is her mother figure, and tells her how crazy she has gone. Ruth calls the paramedics to take her away, and then the ambulance crashes. She wakes up again at the party and decides to just have a good time. So I wanted this episode, I want to talk about addiction as an idea in this whole series. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the episode where she becomes fixated on the drugs, Yeah, she becomes very fixated, especially on the specific joint that Maxine has given her. And it's a reasonable thing to, like, she's... uh, dissociating from reality she thinks Mm -hmm. because her experiences are not what she can recognize as being reality and so she wants to figure that out and she there's a line she even says like if it's not the drugs it's me yeah exactly and that's the two choices in this episode that's the two choices is the drugs or or her and those are both connected to the idea of addiction Mm -hmm. right those are both like not so much from a medical professional perspective, but from a, like, uh, kind of first principles theory perspective. Is addiction about the thing you're addicted to or about yourself? Mm-hmm. Is it about this drug is has a hold on her or something, not the drug, like the drug is a metaphor and the death is a metaphor and the cycles are a metaphor for addiction, right? Yeah. Or is it something about her and she doesn't want to believe there's... At the first half of the episode, she doesn't want to believe there's something wrong with her. In the second half of the episode, she does want to believe there's something wrong with her and both times she's kind of wrong. Yeah, it's true. Both answers are the wrong answer. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And within the show, she clearly is, you know, she talks about how she's done every drug under the sun. And she's not necessarily an addict in that way, but very willing to do any kind of drug, including later on when she huffs paint with horse. And then, and we have John, who we find out is sober. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there's a connection there with her old life and her new life and her, like, she definitely wasn't, like, drugs were a very big part of her life for a very long time. And I think may, maybe we get a hint that this window with John was either John indulging or her not indulging to be with John. Or like it's the one of the other things that I think we'll talk about later in the episode, but it's like one of these split paths, mm-hmm. right? Either one of those options is like why they're not together is because they're on different timelines. They are, exactly. And what you said about she's not necessarily an addict, like, I think we definitely see like she's not necessarily an addict of any of the specific drugs that she's using, literally. But like by the end of the series, we have Ruth talking about how she doesn't have the drive for life that she used to have. Mm. That everything about the way she's encountering life is like uh, embracing death, trying to... And a lot of what we see of her, especially in the first half of the season, is like finding ways to isolate herself, finding ways to avoid confronting the, her reality, finding ways to avoid confronting her emotions, all these uh, coping mechanisms to avoid dealing with herself and her situation. Mm-hmm. And like the death itself, the death birth cycle in this show is itself a metaphor for addiction. Yes. Of like, she just keeps coming back to the same world and she wants it to end and she can't get out of it and it feels out of her control and maybe it is out of her control or maybe it isn't. And in this episode specifically, we have the stairs that she just keeps going back to and just keeps falling down. Right. Over and over and over. So episode three is called A Warm Body. Nadia wakes up after a night of partying and takes the fire escape to get out of the building. She notices that the building is a Jewish school and visits the former owners, a synagogue, where a rabbi and his assistant are there. She requires her to have a man to see the rabbi, and so she calls John to act as her husband. John goes to the rabbi and confesses his sins instead of asking Nadia's questions. Mm-hmm. The rabbi's assistant prays the prayer for the dying over Nadia. John tries to convince her to get back together with him, but she refuses. She wanders the street and talks to a homeless man named Horse that she has seen multiple times. He cuts her hair, and then they freeze to death on the street. She wakes up at the party again and goes to the homeless shelter, where she stops his shoes from being stolen. She leaves on an elevator, which begins to plummet, a man next to her is calm and says that he dies all the time. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. This, when you recap it like that, this is a jam-packed episode. It really is. The um, first half is all about the rabbi and the second half is all about horse. Right. And I wanted to talk with this episode. I wanted to use this episode as a jumping off to talk about Judaism in this show. Mm-hmm. And specifically, like there is a long and complex conversation and i expect us to come back to it um that judaism is a complex idea Mm -hmm. this is the episode where i see the most uh direct engagement with religious judaism yes and that's like partly the yeshiva school and she goes to the uh rabbi and like Nadia's interaction through the show. Okay, first, actually, I've read this really interesting article that I recommend about the Judaism of this show, that this is a very, very Jewish show, top to bottom, all the way through. Not just, that's not just uh, the trimmings or the surface. It's like built deeply into everything that 
is happening in th- in this show is a Jewish perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and you know, speak for you. You're not. Yeah. Authoritative to explain Judaism to anybody. No. But I can see and comment on the perspective on religion that I see in this uh, show and in this episode, right? Yeah. So there's, like, three things in this episode that ripple through the whole show about, like, the one is when John goes and talks to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, in mysticism, we're taught that there are solutions that I don't know the quote exactly, but we're taught that there are realities uh, and insights that can't be reached by reason. Mm-hmm. And he says, maybe Nadia is your way of avoiding the world or is your way of getting tied back into the world when what you need to do is surrender to the abyss because that's the only way out. Mm-hmm. And there's much like Nadia treats drugs as a possible explanation, Nadia and the show, like in the last episode, maybe Nadia really is having a drug fueled hallucination. And that's what is happening on this show. In this episode, we're like, maybe this is a mystical religious experience. Mm-hmm. That was a question Nadia had at the beginning, and she has in this episode, like, okay, well, it's it's not the drugs, it's got to be the yeshiva school. Yeah. It's haunted, or, to put that another way, there's something supernatural and mystical and connected to Judaism specifically, and we have the rabbi saying, like, you have to accept the abyss. Yeah. And saying that buildings aren't haunted, people are haunted. And that was a key line i feel like i totally agree i think both of those buildings aren't haunted people are haunted and you have to the only way out is to embrace the abyss i think are both actual insights into the show and the show's Mm -hmm. worldview agreed i just want to comment a little bit on this episode specifically when john goes in to meet with a rabbi John is Catholic, and so the very first thing he does upon meeting a religious authority is he just starts confessing. Right. And it's really funny because, of course, there isn't confession in that way in Judaism, but his, like, John's instinct is obviously to be like, okay, here's a religious authority. I'm just going to tell all my sins. Right. And the rabbi just does not give him the reaction or the absolution or anything that he wants. And I love, I just love that idea. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And the prayer of the dying that gets said over Nadia. Yeah. She has a roundabout that? way of asking and gets the the assistant, I can't remember her name. Yeah. To uh to tell to say the prayer of the dying over her and she fully accepts it. Like Nadia is very like in that moment completely feels like this is the prayer being said over her as she's dying. And she says you know, thanks, it's not going to do anything, but thanks anyway. Mm-hmm. And like, this is what I was talking about earlier about Nadia is a big bucket of defense mechanisms. Yeah. And that uh, Natasha Leone plays that so well because she's saying it's not going to do anything, not out of, I mean, maybe the character and maybe the Natasha Leone also uh, have a deep rational atheism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that in that moment, she's not saying it won't do anything because she has rationally decided that God does not exist. She is saying it won't do anything because she was protecting her self against disappointment. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's so vulnerable in that moment mm-hmm. because she does want it to do something because she wants to be protected. She believes or wants to believe that protection is possible. And the next death she has after that is when she freezes to death on the street. And the right. moment she wakes up from that death, she's like, whoa, that was dark. And it was. And it, she had that prayer right before her darkest death, mm-hmm. which I felt was significant. And it's that. It's after meeting with the rabbi and after thinking and like what the the prayer for the dying that the woman says for her she asks what does it mean and the woman says it means there are angels all around us Mm -hmm. and she named like in the prayer i don't speak hebrew but i 
recognize the words enough to know that she names Michael and Raphael and Gabriel Mm -hmm. and a fourth one that I didn't catch. But she names angels by name. Um, There are angels all around us. And then Nadia goes to Horse, who's some kind of uh, supernatural or supernaturally tinged character in the show. Yeah, he's definitely got depth to him that we don't really understand. And the idea of there are angels all about us and her interaction with Horse in the second half of the episode is like, is she his angel or is he hers? Mm-hmm. I think he's hers at first and then she becomes his when she watches over him. Right. To stop him from losing his shoes. But like, And why does she... It's the first time she does anything in this show to help anyone. Mm-hmm. Not the last, though. Yeah. Is to try to help Horse by giving him his shoes because he cuts her hair, which is all symbolic and whatever, but we could talk about her hair, but let's not right now. But like, uh, the idea of the show is taking this idea of there are angels everywhere and like, in what strikes me and maybe just be my ignorance, and if you know more, please do correct me. It strikes me as a very Jewish perspective to take that and, like, there's a responsibility that you then have as a human being interacting with other human beings to act as their angels. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like the responsibility humans have for each other is a very Jewish concept. Yeah. And Nadia starts to learn it in this episode. And it's not a coincidence that that's the episode where she goes to a synagogue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So moving on to episode four. So we meet Alan, who is the man from the elevator. Alan wakes in his bathroom and goes about his day. He listens to affirmations on tape. He's broken up with by his girlfriend. Talks to a friend who is the clerk from the deli. He plays video games, but all clearly in a way that he's done before. After he meets Nadia and dies, the day goes differently. He discovers that Beatrice was cheating on him with Mike. Nadia, meanwhile, goes to the ring store because she remembers Alan's box. The clerk won't give her the name, but she figures out who Alan is from a phone Yelp equivalent check-in. She finds his apartment and confronts him, but he's unwilling to talk. She tells him to meet her at the party the night before. Alan goes to confront Mike, but he is a complete dick. He ends up outside and is electrocuted. He wakes up in his bathroom and angrily dumps out his suitcase, but finds that the engagement ring is gone from the box. So this episode is called Alan's Routine, and I want to talk about the idea of routine in this show. Mm -hmm. We alluded to this already a little bit, but... Alan's approach to this whole... So, we, like, we learn in this episode that Alan is like Nadia. Yeah. Trapped in a loop in the same way, dying over and over. Mm -hmm. But Alan's approach to this whole situation is completely different from Nadia's. And he finds this uh, comfort in routine. Yeah. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And the show presents his uh, routine as being just as harmful as nadia nadia's self-destructive drug use yeah parallels them parallels them absolutely right so for nadia it's about addiction an addiction metaphor and uh trying to kind of cope with pain through addiction Mm -hmm. and alan also has an addiction and like his routine is his addiction yeah those Absolutely. are the same thing, mm-hmm. really. I'm like, and, what? Go and ahead. he has, uh, it seems like some kind of OCD or something along those lines where he is very meticulous and uh, repetitive and needs to do things exactly the way he perceives them needing to be done mm-hmm. in order to succeed. It's like, I think that what's so interesting about the routine in this episode is not in order to succeed. No, you're right. He knows that he's going to, like, he says later that he wants to get things perfect, but 
perfectly the same, mm-hmm. right? He's yeah, not he's... trying to mix, to change things to, again, Groundhog Day. He's not trying to stack the deck in his favor and make everything happen the way that he wants it to. Yeah, he's not. He goes back to Beatrice's to get broken up with. He doesn't go there to, like, solve the problem. Yeah. To make her not break up with him. She just, he just goes there because this is what we do at this point in the day. We go and get broken up with. And then we meet with, uh, what's his name from the deli? Yeah. That's just the way it goes. And, like, it's exactly that. He's not trying to perfect the day by which he means get things right that he got wrong the first time. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get things wrong that he got wrong the first time. Exactly. And we see that partly he rationalizes that as he thinks that what is going on is its purgatory. So he mm-hmm. wants himself to suffer because yeah. he believes himself to deserve suffering. And we eventually learn that that's probably, I mean, we don't get explicitly this, but that's probably in his first loop, he killed himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably tied to why he thinks he deserves to suffer is his suicide and or the same thing that made him want to end his life makes him want to prolong his suffering. Yeah, exactly. Right? But it's so interesting how, the sh- how like, routines don't solve problems. No. Like, this is a statement not just on Alan's psychology, but on routine in general. Right? Mm-hmm. Routines don't make things better. Yeah. They just make them the same. Yeah. Which is not the same thing. <laughs> so, we've reached the halfway point. There's eight episodes. This is episode four. And so, this is kind of where we have the turning point of the show is we had we were used to what this show was it was Nadia she kept dying she's trying to figure out why and then the end of the third episode we get this massive twist yep there's someone else and all of episode four barely has Nadia in it and so we really get a set we get this turning point of this show is not just about Nadia it's Mm -hmm. about Nadia and Alan so it's uh it's a fun it's a fun twist and it makes it about it not, doesn't make it individualistic anymore. Yeah. I think that like one of the core ideas of the show by the end of the show we learn is it's about uh human connection with other humans. Mhm. And the show brings us as viewers along on that journey like so well in this first half by exactly we get sucked into in the first three two and uh three quarters two and seven eighths uh, episodes Mm -hmm. uh most of the first three episodes we get sucked into seeing the world from such nadia's perspective we feel like nadia is the center of the world Mm -hmm. she's the center of the show We start to feel, along with her, like no one else matters. She's the only one who's learning and growing. Um, And in the third episode where she... Oh, uh, actually, no, it's in the fifth episode. It's in the episode we haven't talked about yet. Nadia has, like, the uh, epiphany that maybe everyone else... Maybe there's a timeline where everyone else keeps going after she dies. Whichever episode that is that she has that yeah, epiphany. I can't remember. Well. I didn't write it down. But eventually, Nadia's going to think, like, maybe it's not a loop. Maybe it's making a whole bunch of different timelines. And there are, you know, 13 timelines where Ruth is mourning over a dead me. Yeah. And it's... Nadia starts to see uh, that other people fully exist in a way that the first episode, Nadia, before the loops all started, she wasn't behaving yeah, yeah, as if yeah. other people exist fully. Mm-hmm. And the show takes us into that by being like, we really think no one else matters. No one else learns. No one else grows. Like, they get reset. You could do whatever you want to everyone else. And then when we see that there's one other person who's real, yeah. it's a real shift in how we understand the world of the show and that... You know, that mirrors a shift in how Nadia understands her 
world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so good. Yeah. And she immediately uh, is excited, is like intrigued, is I need, we are connected. I need to find this guy. We need to make this happen. And he is freaked out and immediately is like, no, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. You know? They're both stuck in uh, isolation. Mm-hmm. And she kind of wants to get out of it before he does. Before he does. Yeah. But he's stuck. Like, they're both stuck in different ways. She starts to seek connection before he does. But she continues to be self-destructive after he stops being self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that comes, again, to, like, they can't get out of it alone. They aren't in it alone. They can't get out of it alone. And that's, like, again, a metaphor for life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So moving on? Yeah. Okay. So episode five, Superiority Complex. Alan goes to Nadia's party. They discuss life and death, and Nadia wants everyone to tell her if she's a bad person or not. John arrives, and Nadia is confronted that he's she's never met his daughter, so she agrees to do so. She sleeps with him and then goes to Ruth's house to get her copy of Emily of New Moon, but Ruth's house, house explodes with a gas leak. Alan tries to confront Mike again, but gets drunk and is hit by a car. Nadia tries to save Ruth from the gas leak and is shot by her. She repeatedly tries to meet John's daughter, but in the end, she chickens out. Alan concludes that they're dying at the same time, and Nadia concludes that things are changing and everyone is affected, not just them. Which is what you were just talking about, that she realizes that it's not loops, it's timelines. Yeah. Or she, like... I don't know, she theorizes. Theorizes, yeah. I guess We don't not, know whether don't she's know. right. Yeah. And we never do. By the yeah. end of the show, we don't know whether she's right about that. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about with connection to this episode is the idea of amends. Mm-hmm. Alan thinks they're in purgatory. Alan thinks they deserve it. He yeah. deserves it. Right? And they both, but especially Nadia in this episode kind of try to make things right mm-hmm. and they in a very specific way try to make things right with other people right yeah Nadia wants to know if she's a bad person and wants to like fix things and specifically fix things in like a alan says they're in purgatory there's like a we talked about jewish religion purgatory is uh Catholic religious concept mm-hmm. of like paying for your sins before you're allowed to move on. Yep. Right? And so she makes, she tries to make amends with people, even though they won't really remember it, or maybe they do. Whether they remember it isn't the point, mm-hmm. though. And like, I feel like. Although Alan's wrong about purgatory, I feel like the idea of recognizing the value and humanity of the other people around her and trying to do right by them, mm-hmm. trying to redeem the past, really is how to get out of this. Yeah, it is. Right? And she, this is the first episode where she tries to bring john's daughter the book and then eventually she does and that seems like that's what clicks things into place yeah so that is a key moment to this entire season and her entire uh trying to be a good person thing and her interaction with john's daughter is not just like by the end of the series we see it as not just about her making amends with john or making amends with john's daughter it's also about her making amends with herself and her mother. Mm-hmm. That, like, exactly. she kind of redeems for herself her interaction with her mother by interacting with a daughter figure. Yes, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Episode six is called Reflection. 
Nadia and Alan try to figure out what they might have in common, and the only thing they have is that he has played a video game that she designed. Alan claims that he doesn't remember his first death, so they go to Ruth's to see if she'll hypnotize him. Ruth tells the story of the mirrors that Nadia's mother broke. The two of them die by bees in the subway, <laughs> which is their funniest death, I think. Yep. Alan agrees to take Nadia through his day. They get drunk, and they he gets drunk, and they have sex. Nadia steals his shoes and gives them to Horse. The two of them half paint together, and then they go to the deli where she suddenly realizes that she saw Alan that first night. Alan goes home and remembers that he killed himself on the first night. Nadia chokes on a chicken bone and returns to the bathroom only to find that it doesn't have a mirror. Alan is also missing his mirror. So what is with the mirrors? This episode is called Reflection. Mm-hmm. Reflection, of course, uh, kind of three meanings, right? Reflection means, like, thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, reflection, possibly in the sense of, like, a uh, people who, who like, an, in the metaphorical sense, mm-hmm. like, Alan and Nadia are reflections of each other. And reflection in the very literal sense. This is an episode about mirrors. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Alan asks Ruth why Nadia's mother smashed the mirrors. And what does she say? I don't remember her exact line. Do you? No. She says, like... She didn't want to look at herself. She didn't want to look at herself. What Her exact line, I don't remember, but the gist of what she said was... She didn't like who she was, so she didn't want to see herself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, and she says, like, this is why we need psychiatrists, because we can't make sense of our own stories without someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's another kind of reflection. Yeah. That, like, what therapy is, what Ruth's role in the story and in Nadia's life and in Alan's life is to, like, tell their stories back to them so they can understand it. She's a metaphorical mirror. Mm-hmm. That's also what Alan and Nadia are to each other. Yeah. And that's what, basically, I like what I said earlier, but that's like what uh, John's daughter is to Nadia also. Mm-hmm. And eventually, literally, like, she becomes her, herself. Right. Um, even in within this episode, the very first thing they discover about the video game, and they start talking about, you know, how to play it and how you... It's almost unplayable because there's a difficult level. And the connection of death in a video game means immediately coming back to life. Mm-hmm. It means like respawning in the same place. And that's and that's a reflection of their life so far. And so you get this strong metaphor of, hey, this is like a video game. And no one outright says it. It's just yeah. the audience has to clue in to hey, this is a reflection of what this whole show is. Yep. And it, like, Nadia is a video game programmer. There's a bug in her code. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her life is like a video game, and she's like a video game character. She, and both of them wake up at the end without their mirrors in their bathrooms where they regenerate, basically. And, uh they can't face themselves. This has become a moment where Nadia has just died thinking about her mother Mm -hmm. and how she doesn't want to be her. And she can't face that. Alan has just realized that he committed suicide and he Mm -hmm. can't face himself either. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's this real sense of they just do not want to see themselves anymore. So they don't. So they don't. Episode 7 is called The Way Out. We see flashbacks to Nadia's childhood, revealing that her mother tried to live off watermelon. She did the breaking of the mirrors, Nadia being saved by Ruth. Nadia and Alan realized they both could have saved each other if Alan hadn't been drunk and if Nadia hadn't been with Mike at the deli. 
Nadia begins seeing her childhood self. Each time she sees her, she has a heart attack. People begin to disappear. So Nadia keeps bringing Maxine and Lizzie with her when she leaves the party. Eventually, everyone from the party is gone, except Maxine. In Alan's apartment, there's no furniture, nothing on the walls. Alan goes to see Beatrice and finally comes to peace with their breakup. Nadia visits Ruth and admits her guilt over leaving her mother, and then finally brings Emily of New Moon to John's daughter. Both Alan and Nadia get nosebleeds and collapse. Nadia finds a mirror shard in her throat before her child self whispers, this is the day we get free. And then she dies. So I wanted, with this episode, to talk about the idea of trauma. Mm-hmm. Because if we started off episode two saying that one of the central metaphors of the entire show is addiction, another, I think, deeper metaphor of the entire show is this is a show about trauma. Mm-hmm. And we see that playing out uh, in literal terms in this episode, both physical and emotional trauma, we see we actually see dramatized for us uh, Nadia's traumatic childhood. Mm-hmm. And, like, we see her coughing up broken glass in, like, physical trauma. Mm-hmm. We also have, we've had trauma for Nadia especially, though for Alan as well. i talk about Nadia first. Through the whole run of the show, and like the first episode, her mother died uh, when she was 36. And we aren't, I don't remember if we are explicitly told, in my memory we aren't, and maybe I'm wrong. But her, her mother, I think, committed suicide, and we aren't quite told that that's true. Yeah, it's never explicit, but right, it seems like she, you know, either an overdose or a suicide or something along those lines. We get the strong impression that that's what happened. And in this this episode, we're looped back to that, that Nadia has all along felt personally responsible. Mm-hmm. That her mother died. Uh, that's a trauma on a child. And Nadia thinks that she's responsible for causing trauma to her mother that caused her mother to die. And Nadia feels like she rejected her mother by wanting to be with Ruth, even though she, Ruth tells us she said she wanted to live with her mother. And Nadia says, it doesn't matter what I said. What I really wanted was what happened, which is that I lived with you instead of her. Mm-hmm. And we have had uh, the story of nadia's grandparents as holocaust survivors like we talk about trauma as a loop i mean we talk about trauma as a metaphor for this show Mm -hmm. the show is nadia stuck in this loop of pain and death and then her life is like my grandparents were holocaust survivors and that trauma affected them and they never trusted banks and then they gave an inheritance to their daughter my mother who spent it all Because she had parents, I mean, not because, but like, the show doesn't tell us because, Mm -hmm. but she had parents who were traumatized and then she had her own trauma, Mm -hmm. which she then uh, visited out on her daughter who now has her own trauma. Yep. And she spits out blood on John's daughter. Yeah. Right? Exactly. That we see playing out trauma as a loop. Mm-hmm. passing from generation to generation and that's the other one of the other like most obvious uh skeletons of judaism in this entire show is that uh not just the religious judaism but the cultural judaism is in the 20th and 21st century, cultural Judaism is tied into deep trauma. Yeah, exactly. Because of the history. I mean, like, and in other ways before, but because of the history, right? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, her grandparents are Holocaust survivors. <laughs> yes, exactly. And of course, that still matters to her. Mm-hmm. And she can't get out of that. And that's a metaphor of the whole. And then we have Alan, too. We don't get as much detail, but, like, he is getting himself dumped again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
he has some kind of mental health problem that is never quite made clear to us, but he has some kind of trauma in his past before the episode, before his loops start, right? Yes, absolutely. And he's trying to control, meticulously control every aspect of his life because of that trauma, because he feels he has no control. And so he is also, we get less depth in it, but we see also that his loops are him trying to cope trying and failing to cope with his trauma mm-hmm. precisely so our last episode episode eight is called ariadne both alan and nadia are back in their respective bathrooms with everything as it was before they each go to each other's places alan goes to the party and nadia to alan's apartment but they don't cross paths until they get to the deli when they realize they're on opposite timelines. Each is on each other's first night. Alan follows Nadia around the city, making her upset, and then finally saving her from the car. She understands, and they leave together. In her timeline, Nadia follows Alan around the city, while he gets drunk, gives away all his possessions, and helps him to go to bed. She wakes hours later and goes to the roof, worried that he's killed himself, but finds that he's still up there. In each timeline, they make their way to a street party where Horse is wearing a horse head and everyone is in costumes in a parade. The timelines merge and it's the end. Or is it? <laughs> so I wanted to talk in this episode about mazes. Mm-hmm. Ariadne is a character from Greek mythology. Her, in a nutshell, her story is that she helps Theseus get through the uh, labyrinth and mm. defeat the Minotaur. She, she, gives, she gives him, him the string, right? She gives him the string and she gives him a sword and she gives him emotionally, uh, like metaphorically something to come back to. Mm-hmm. So what, so this episode is called Ariadne. Uh, there's like, <laughs> this whole show has been about mazes mm-hmm. as much as it's been about anything. Mm-hmm. We've had episodes called The Way Out, and we've had, like, this isn't a loop. This isn't alternate timelines. This is a maze. Yes. This is a labyrinth. And there's a monster in the middle, and they need to find their way out. And how do they find their way out is with each other. Mm-hmm. And why is the episode called Ariadne and not Theseus? <laughs> yeah. Or Labyrinth? Or Minotaur? Right? Yeah. Partly because, I mean, frankly, it's partly it's called Ariadne because it's named after a woman. Yeah. Um, but it's also because in the story of the labyrinth, what Ariadne represents is helping each other. Right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't just represent getting out of a labyrinth. She represents that the line, the, the way to get out of a labyrinth is someone helps you. Someone offers you a lifeline. Exactly. And like the in the in this whole show of surprises and twists and uh, unexpected things, there was no moment as unexpected and as like satisfying. Satisfying. Why didn't I expect that? I should have seen that coming, but didn't. As when they walk into the deli and they're on different timelines. Yeah, exactly. And it was like it's a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Because they both end up saving each other. Yeah. So satisfying and so beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're each other's lifeline. And it's not because of something... I think I think the show shows us that it's not because of something uh, special about uh, their connection. They're not... They are reflections of each other, sort of, but they're not actually, like, soulmates kind of situation. No. They're just people who can help each other because they were in the moment when they could. And they each, in their own, uh, in their own timelines, learned and grew and were dynamic characters so that they could come to a place where they could help the other person. Because both of them, in their original timelines are incredibly selfish, especially Nadia. Yeah. Are so selfish and self-centered. And then by the end of it, they 
are so the opposite of that that they can easily save the other person. Yep. That it's not actually that hard to save them. All they have to do is follow them around and yeah. be with them, merely to be present with them so they have another person. Yep. Is all that they need in order to be saved. Yep. All she needed was someone to pull her away from the car, and all Alan needed was a person to be there to say, don't kill yourself. Yep. The mere, yeah, the mere presence of people, and that's like if there's if this ep- series has a moral, which I think it doesn't quite. Mm-hmm. But if it does, that's it. Yeah, be present for each other. So, this being a Legion podcast, the Minotaur, the maze, the labyrinth is our biggest connection to legion legion season two is all about mazes and being in the maze and we had a minotaur Mm -hmm. so i like that we have a straight up connection in our minds to legion with this show and that's definitely why we wanted to talk about it on this podcast part of why why. and partly just like an episode that messes with your mind i'm sorry a show that messes with your mind and messes with the state of reality and makes you think about philosophical concepts yep. is what Legion is and what this, what Russian Doll is. So it definitely is something that we easily were like, we're talking about this on Clockworks because it's the perfect show to talk about on Clockworks. And it does the same thing that Legion does of like, raises these questions for the specific show and then kind of in general mm-hmm. there's like an existentialism there's like is what is happening here mental illness or supernatural or an existential metaphor about the nature of reality mm-hmm. and it's yes yes to all of those things and absolutely I could, that's true for both legion and russian doll mm-hmm. like is is not is this all in nadia's head mm-hmm. maybe maybe even by the end of the show maybe their mental state changes the world around them they don't there aren't mirrors because they don't want to face themselves the the, john's daughter turns into young nadia and asks her like today's the day we get out uh and like much like legion does does david have psychic powers or is he just delusional is Nadia trapped in a time loop or is she coping with it, trauma in her own mind? Mm-hmm. And I like that. I think, uh, I think Legion basically ends up telling us that, no, this is all literally happening. Mm-hmm. I think Russian doll doesn't give us that much of an answer. No. So what do we make of this weird street party thing at the end? I don't know. Did you notice? I know you did, actually. I'm pretending. Did you notice? Because I was sitting right next to you while you did. Uh, <laughs> there are other Nadias in that crowd. There are. There are two that walk away from her as, it, like, split screens. Right. Together. And, like, if this street party is a metaphor, what's it a metaphor for? <laughs> It's like all these people on the street represent the possibility of the future. The other hers are walking away from her because her past, she's leaving it behind. She's walking with Alan. They've saved each other and they're walking forward into an unexpected unknown. I feel like that's part of it. And it has, I mean, horse is there. Mm hmm. With his, like, horse head, which is, like, maybe that's why he was named Horse all along. Maybe. And uh, there's all these people with, like, different humans and animal heads that are bigger than their bodies. Yeah. I feel like that shows how, like, maybe I'm making a stretch here, but it shows how cerebral this show is. It's showing, like, this is all in their heads. Right. Except because heads are important. Or maybe the other reason why the masks is it's about uh, being hidden, being hidden, being honest, being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so all these people in this party are showing 
something to the world that isn't themselves. Mm-hmm. But Alan and Nadia aren't wearing masks. Yeah. And it ends very much on Nadia. Yeah. In that shot where you see the two other hers from behind walking away and you see her last. It's all her in the frame. Yep. Alan isn't there at all. And so it makes it almost makes me wonder whether Alan was real. I think I, I think he is, mm-hmm. but it definitely gives you this uh it ends with her again as the focus. It comes full loop back to the beginning where you just end on her. I think like it's her story. Mm-hmm. Right? We care about Alan and we care about Alan for his own sake, but also we care about Alan. It's one of these paradoxes that, like, the show has to make us care about Alan for his own sake in order for us to learn what Nadia needs to learn. So we care about Alan for his own sake so that we can care about Nadia. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's part of Nadia's development of her character that we care about Alan. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he kind of fades away at the end because it was always about Nadia. Yeah. Even when it was about Alan. Absolutely. There's a second season. There's three seasons planned. Yeah. Much like Legion, yeah. this was pitched as a three-season arc. Mm-hmm. I can't begin to imagine what the second season of this show is going to be like. No, my only theory is that it might be about Horse. Or it might be about Maxine and uh, Lizzie. Except that it's it's Natasha Leon's show. It is. So it needs to be about her. It's going to be about Nadia. Like, maybe not, but, like, it's about Nadia. Yeah. But I'm just so interested to see what they're going to do next on this show. Mm-hmm. Is she just going to die again? Is something going to happen? They can't repeat the exact same thing again, but it needs to be called Russian Doll for a reason. Mm-hmm. Can we talk, before we wrap this episode up, just mm-hmm. about Russian Dolls? Right. Because we talked about, like, is this, and the show talks about, is this a loop? Is this timelines? Is this a labyrinth? Is this a Russian doll? Yeah. A Russian doll is not the same thing over and over. No. It's something inside of something inside of something. Right? Mm -hmm. It's getting to the core of something. And every layer... Every death is like you're opening the Russian doll and what's inside is something deeper. Mm-hmm. That's not loops. No. And that's like the metaphor that the show presents itself to us. The The terms in which the show presents itself to us is this is a show called Russian doll. Yeah. We're getting to the core of this character. Uh, we're not just repeating. Yeah, exactly. Which makes it, again, very different from a Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the things that someone recently told me about being in therapy was it was like coming to the core, getting closer and closer to the center of your problems. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what the Russian doll metaphor can be about in this show is it's just like getting her closer and closer to realizing what the core of her problems are and same with alan and it's not a coincidence like the mental illness theme in this show that we didn't really talk about much Mm -hmm. that's there on a superficially that gives us like uh as it does on legion superficially it gives us a means of like questioning our reality because maybe the character is delusional Mm -hmm. but it also is like much more profound than that and the reason that ruth is a therapist that's not arbitrary no in a real way this show is as much about therapy as it is about addiction Mm -hmm. for exactly that reason it's about coming painfully to the core of who she is And that whether it is done, I mean, like, it doesn't take much of a leap to be like, whether that's done formally with a trained professional or magically through a quantum event, Mm -hmm. like, that is therapy. That is therapy. 
Right. All right. Well, we've talked for a while about Russian Doll. I'm sure there's lots more to say, but let's uh, wrap it up here. If you have stuff to say to us about Russian Doll or any other shows you would think or have been making you think of Legion, you can let us know. Uh, our Twitter is at ClockworksCast. You can also email us, ClockworksCast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and like these extra bonus episodes, we can do them through the help of our Patreon supporters. And that is at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So thanks for listening. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. Goodbye.